The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. know the show you're listening to rail of sports on the voice america network i'm in phoenix living like it matters and and what matters to me well let me see there's a couple things uh, that matter to me but let, let me let me show a little bit of love to major league baseball you know i i gotta think that you know major league baseball is is kind of the Man, it's like the stepchild of sports, really. I, I mean, I hate to say it like that, but it, but it's true. And I, but I care about baseball because at my core, you know, I got a little baseball in me. That's really one of the games that I started out playing as a kid. It was one of those inexpensive sports that really all we needed was, you know, one bat and one ball, and hopefully everybody got a glove. <laughs> you know, but you didn't really have to have a whole lot of equipment to play baseball, at least, you know, with your friends. You didn't have that's all you really had to have. You know, then you didn't have to go out and buy a brand new pair of shoes, you know, whatever kind of shoes you had on. Or you could take your shoes off. You know, all you really needed was a glove and somebody had to have a bat and somebody had to have a ball. You know, you could make the bases out of paper. You know, we grab some paper, put a rock on it. That's first base, second base, third base, you know, home plate, you know. Uh, it was a lot of fun. And a lot of us, you know, played baseball back in the day. But for the life of me, you know, they've just got to do something to make the sport just more exciting. And and I'll tell you, you know, the, the, the effect that the lingering effect of performance enhancement drugs going back and and now it's still affecting some players even today. You know, and, and players acknowledging that, hey, they did it, standing up like a man, and oh, I did it, I'll accept the punishment. And then the Yankees, uh, you know, the Yankees, I mean, the American franchise is in, in, in battled in, you know, in an image struggle. Who are they now? Who are the Yankees? I, I probably can't, uh, of the lineup. I'm telling you, the first call, 888-346-9144, that could call in and name, <laughs> you know, uh, the starting lineup for the New York Yankees. It, I, I doubt that anybody can do that, with the exception you did research. So if you did your research, I, take, I, I didn't even put the bet out there, but I'm taking it off anyway. Anybody could just do it, you know, by Google searching and see the lineup, you know. But it's a shame. Because I love baseball. And, I, I, man, I love the Yankees. I love the Mets back in the day, too. You know, Daryl Strawberry. Shout out to Daryl. But uh, I'm just, you know, what matters to me, baseball does matter to me. 
I, I truly believe that as a athlete, that you have to be someone who uh, can play multiple sports, and they all contribute to the success of your ability to play a sport. And 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 the all-around athlete is one that I think is a better prepared athlete. But I tell you what, what we're going to talk about today is a better prepared human being. Period. And there is, a, I'd like to take this time out because I know of a prepared individual who happened to be an athlete, but he was a, a fine man, and uh, he's no longer here with us. And he happened to be the father of my high school quarterback. And what's so important to me about this man is the fact, other than the fact that, you know, he's gone on to, to, to heaven, is, is that he was very important and very instrumental in my life. Now, I don't know how it happened, but I know Rock Hontas, Dr. Rock Hontas, who was my high school quarterback, and his father who passed away, uh, Jerry Hontas, Esquire, was an attorney. Uh, Mr. Hontas, um, my freshman year, going into my sophomore year, the summer of my freshman year, going into my sophomore year, Rock used to come pick me up, and Mr. Hontas was there coaching us as we would go out to the practice field to throw balls, and, and Rock would throw the balls to me. I would run the routes. I was a quarterback. I thought we were going to compete for the position of quarterback, but I guess I became a wide receiver, and I don't know how that ever happened, but I, I, I tell you this, I thank God that Mr. Hannes and Rock and I were able to get together and spend that time out on those fields in the summertime. It was just the three of us, me, Rock, and his dad. And, um, man, he coached Rock up, coached me up, and, and together we were able to do some special things. And, and life was different for me and him as a result of the time we spent together in the summer with uh, Mr. Hannes coming out there, you know, clean as hell, sharp, you know, have his tie on. You know, he'd loosen up a little bit, but most of the time he'd keep it on, you know, almost like a Bear Bryant, you know, back in the day or, or Tom Laundry back in the day. He was an attorney, but he, he, he was suited up and would come out there afterwards uh, after he left the office and, and worked with us in the summer. And and that summer of that sophomore year, when we stepped on the field, Rock and I did some special things, and it was all a result of his dad. And from there, you know, life just kind of changed for me and Rock. And uh, he went on to be a doctor, and I, of course, am here at Voice America doing my thing. And um, But what it did, it allowed me, you know, to uh, because of him and the direction I was sent off in, in terms of my playing on the field, it gave me an opportunity to go on to Ohio State University, get my education, and, and of course, I'm here in, in media now, and it gives me a chance to have a platform where I can acknowledge uh, the contributions to my life. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going I'm to take a moment out of silence, another member of the fraternity that I respect. And, and I'm going to say I got, I got a special place in my heart for Mr. Hannes. And so I'm going to take a moment of and, and pay a moment of a tribute to him with a moment of silence. Okay, well, that, that was a moment of silence. Mr. Hannes, I love you, my man, up there in heaven. Rock, love you too, man. Hope everything's well. I tried to give you a call. I understand you weren't able to pick up, uh, but I just want you to know I gave your dad a shout-out uh, on the show today. Hey, today is going to be a special day for me. Uh, I'm going to do a show uh, today, and I, I'm, uh, the entire show, uh, I'm going to take the opportunity to, to have a guest join me. And uh, a young man who is, and a young man, a young man uh, who has uh, taken the time out to write a book. Uh, he, he's, he's a teacher and an author. 
And, and we're going to talk a little bit about his book. And the name of his book is a very interesting title. You ready for this one? Tired of Being Black. A young man is tired of being black. And so what I want to do now, and I believe he is here with us uh, at the time. He should be on the line. Rodney Jordan. I'm going to welcome Rodney to the show. Rodney, how are you? I'm good, Ray. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing just wonderful, man. I certainly appreciate you taking your time out because I believe this, if I'm not mistaken, this is somewhat in the middle of you making a move from from the southern part of the country uh, up to the northeast part of the country. Am I right about that? Yes, sir. I, I will be uh, moving from northern Virginia uh, to New York City. Uh, next uh, summer I will be getting married. Um, and so, therefore, um, I decided to move up to New York City um, and pre- uh, further my teaching career in New York City so that I could be closer to my fiance. Oh, well, there you go. Hey, man, follow love. Follow that heart. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with uh, with doing that too many times. I think uh, as men, we're a little afraid to follow our heart, man. But but uh, I wish you the best with you and your fiance as as you decide to, to make that journey and leave the South and go into New York. Now, let me ask you, like I said, you're in the South moving to the, the Big Apple. Have you spent much time in the Big Apple? It's a little different than Virginia down there. I'm sure, man, once you get there, you will find out. And I'm sure you probably spent some time there. But are you looking forward to the different lifestyle being in New York things being so busy and so many people and it take you five times the amount of time to arrive at a place that would have taken you like 10 minutes down in Virginia I'm I'm, I'm very excited about the move I'm excited about the the opportunity for me here but um, it's very uh, sad for me to leave Virginia um, especially uh, leaving my family my family is is in the uh, southeastern part of the state and I've just built so many great relationships with with awesome people in northern virginia so it's while it's hard for me to leave them um i'm also excited about the opportunity in new york and i think i'll be fine i'm i'm, I'm great at a, at adjusting so i think i'll be fine well i think if i'm not mistaken there's a train that probably goes from new york to virginia and you can get there pretty fast it, you know it's, it's it's a lot easier than driving uh, so <laughs> jump on jump on that train and go on down listen man i got good friends uh, down there in Virginia. As a matter of fact, uh, one of our hosts, Kwame Lassiter, is uh, from that Virginia area. So uh, good folks down there in Virginia. Hey, listen, I want to move on because you and I had a conversation and you told me a little bit about a book that you uh, that you had written. And, uh, and I got a chance to, you know, to to, to skim through it online. Uh, I appreciate that. But I, I want to jump right into that. And uh, we won't start off with the book, but what we're going to start off a little bit. Let's talk a little bit, if you will, about just your life experiences and, and, and growing up in Norfolk, Virginia. And, you know, I guess you were a little rebellious, you know, when you start off your life. Uh, but it also appears that uh, uh, there may have been some challenges. Why don't you talk a little bit about that uh, that little rebellious trait you had? What what was the problem? What did you see as the problem? Why do you feel you were so rebellious at a young age? I like to call it middle child syndrome. <laughs> um, I used to think that that my mom showed favorite uh, favorite favoritism towards my sister um, and my and my brothers. Um, and once I began to feel like that, I started rebelling against her. Um, if she said go left, I went right. Um, and I was just doing everything um, possible to get in trouble. I was doing everything wrong. Um, I was getting in trouble in school. Teachers were always calling the house. I was always staying after school for detention with the teachers, uh, getting 
uh, suspended, hooking up with the wrong people, just making poor choices um, out of this feeling of being left out, out of this feeling of favorita- uh, favoritism um, shown towards my siblings. So I began um, at a very young age um, and, and just started rebelling uh, towards my mom. Um, I don't know why, because <laughs> my mom did not tolerate it. So uh, that, that just goes to show you uh, how bad things were, because she didn't tolerate it. I mean, she would put me on my back, but I, I still kept going back for more because wow. I was just... I was just upset. I was frustrated. Um, I felt left out. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew that my mom loved me, but it just seemed like every time I did something, here was the belt. Uh, but my siblings could do the same things or worse. At least uh, this is an elementary child thinking mm-hmm. that, you know, things were worse than what they were. And so um, I just turned into this kid who just seemed to look for trouble. Now, it, it appears to me also in reading some of this that, you know, and, and again, this is the stereotypical uh, point of view that many people have, that uh, you were kind of an at-risk youth. You were born and, and raised, I believe, in, in a single-family home. Is that, is, that per, is that correct? That is correct. My, my living uh, situation was actually pretty unique. Um, there were a lot of people that lived in our uh, – we had a two-bedroom, one-bathroom duplex. Um, and I think that the classroom that I've had the past four years, I, I really think that that classroom is bigger than the duplex that we lived in. Um, but it was um, my mother, her four children, one aunt, her four children, another aunt, her two children, one aunt's boyfriend, my grandmother, my uncle. I mean, we were packed um, inside of this, this very small duplex. Um, and I slept on the love seat for years. Mm-hmm. Um, in elementary school and in middle school, I slept I slept on the love seat for years because um, that was the only place for me to sleep. Now, let me ask you: Was this apparent to, let's say, people in the school district that perhaps maybe uh, some of the things that you were faced with was the fact that there may have been some challenges in the home? Did they ever visit the home? Uh, no. Uh, the only the only instance um, where someone actually came to my mom, uh, came to my home was when. Uh, my mom and I had a had an issue, and um, and I and I tried to get her in trouble, um, just out of out of rebelliousness, out of just spite. Um, I tried to get in, get her in trouble, so I went to school, um, and I told the principal um, I was in seventh grade that my mom had uh, abused me, and so they sent child protective services out to the house. Um, my mother wasn't home, but you know they did. Um, talked to uh, my aunt, my grandmother, and my mother found out about it. So, of course, I was in the house the whole weekend. Um, but that was the only time someone ever came out to the house. And when they came out, of course, I mean, from what I read, uh, you know, it wasn't like it, it was the suburbs they were visiting. I mean, it was the neighborhood had some, some serious issues. Am I correct? That is correct. I lived in a um, um, I lived in the for all of the, the listeners uh, who may be familiar with the area, I lived in the Norview section um, of Norfolk, and um, there were other people who were just as poor as we were. There was a lot of crime in the neighborhood, um, a lot of shootings. Um, I remember the house behind us was raided, um, and just just not the best of uh, neighborhoods, but. Uh, my mom did everything she could to protect us. Uh, she did everything she could to provide for us. 
um, but just was not a a, a good situation um, growing up where I, where I did. Right, and the fact that that neighborhood was as as bad as it was, I can't think of a better word than just to say it was a bad neighborhood. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, um, there was another issue as it related to your living condition, and that was it was changed because there was a move on your part, a voluntary or? No, no. What happened was um, my mom eventually um, got tired of my uh, my uh, bad behavior. Um, got she got tired of me uh, rebelling against her. She got tired of me um, disrespecting her. And so when I was 12, um, she told my dad um, that either he would have to come and pick me up the very next day um, or she was going to have me put into an all-boys home um, until I became an adult um, because matters had just gotten that bad. So um, she, she, she gave my dad a, a, a choice, and, and I was afraid um, – because I was, I said, man, I hope he comes back tomorrow to pick me up. Because <laughs> I really don't want to go to an all boys home. But, um, but that was the option that that she gave my dad. And so the next day he showed up and uh, he picked me up. And so I, um, I went to go live with him. Well, Rodney, that that sounds like a good place for us to take a break. It sounds like your mom was tired of you, but your book is entitled <laughs> is entitled "Tired of Being Black." So listen, we're gonna take a break. We're gonna okay. come back. And then we're going to talk a little bit about another aspect of your life as you got a little bit older and moved on into high school. I think there were some interesting breakthroughs there. And for those of you who are listening, in case you didn't know, of course, we got on with us right now, not only just a school teacher, but an author, an author of a book entitled Tired of Being Black. Wow, man, that's a great title. Rodney Jordan with us. We'll be right back after this break. You're listening to Rail of Sports on the Voice America Network. I'm in Phoenix, living like it matters, and we'll be right back. to the pros we, we cover, everything. cover everything let your voice be heard voice america sports so andy serling packed his bags left the city and is enjoying his temporary digs in saratoga but that won't stop us from bringing you playing to win the best online handicapping show for serious horse players catch andy and his great lineup of guests every week throughout the month of august on location from the beautiful saratoga race course he and his guests are some of the best in the biz they bring you new insights to making money and they tell it like it is i'm three five one in this race but the three is very much the one to be we're going to completely disagree on this race i absolutely disagree Spicer, especially at one to two. And it's anything but the same old horse racing show. This is a nine horse field, but really there are seven donkeys and two zebras. Playing to win with Andy Serling, a show seriously committed to making more money at the game, but with a personality. This is a dunce cap horse for me. If this horse wins next week, I got the dunce cap on. YouBet.com's Playing to Win, presented by the Daily Racing Forum. Look for it the day before big race days, mostly Fridays. Find a complete schedule in the Daily Racing Forum or click on Playing to Win at YouBet.com may not know all their names, but you certainly know what they did. 
They help make this game into what it is today. Now we can do more to help them. The NFL Alumni Association is proud to assist our retired players to help make their lives better today and tomorrow. To learn more, please visit NFLalumni.org. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. is a school teacher and an author of that book. Uh, Rodney, before we left, uh, we started to have a conversation. That conversation was going down the road where your mother was tired of you, and you may have been starting to think about the fact that you're tired of being black. But let's go back, if you can, a little bit. And let's just start a little bit, you know, the tail end of that, you know, that departure, and, and then and you're out of the house. And again, the fact of the matter is you're, you're a young man. Your mom was tired of you. But I believe you flunked the seventh grade, you flunked the eighth grade, you, you know, pretty soon about to go into high school. But your dad took you. How did that work out? Um, I, failed, I, I failed seventh, eighth, and ninth grade. Uh, but the, the, the funny thing is I never repeated a grade uh, because every year um, that I failed, I had to go to summer school. And the only way I could go to summer school was my dad had to pay for me to go to summer school. And so my dad um, is the reason why I never had to uh, repeat or grade, even though every year, uh, those, those three years, I was messing up terribly in school. And so my dad paid for me to go to summer school um, all three years. And finally, uh, when he had to pay the last time when I was in ninth grade, um, we were in his truck and he said, this is the last time that I'm paying for you to go to summer school. And that was the last time I flunked the grade. I said, okay. Now, now, now he said that. Now, did he say that in a stern fashion? What was it that he said, or how did he say it, that it was able to motivate you, but more importantly, that you got the message? What was, how did he say, or what was it that he said besides this is the last time? What, what else was involved in the way he articulated that message to you? That was pretty much the conversation. Uh, my dad is a very laid-back guy. Um, and he does not yell, he doesn't scream, um, but his voice itself lets you know that, that he's not playing. Um, he jokes around a lot, he has a great sense of humor, but you know when my dad is serious, mm-hmm. and when he's serious, you know that you have to get serious. So it appears you know that, that, that you have to buckle down. It appeared that your mom was the one that didn't spare the rod, but your dad, so that wasn't so much his style, it sounds like. Right. My dad, my dad just had a way of talking to you that you knew not to play with him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so while my dad maybe spanked me twice in my, in my entire childhood, um, even when I, when I lived with him, he didn't um, spank me. But my dad was just, um, he was cool, calm, and collected, but he was very firm. Um, yeah. And when, when, he said something. He meant it. You knew what you, you knew that he meant it, and you took it from there. Well, that and sounds. So, and so when we had that conversation, it was um, I knew that 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 it was time for me to um, stop repeating 
raise or, or, or to stop flunking, rather. There you go. Sounds like a formula of success. It, it appears to me there's another form of success that was out there on the horizon, and that is uh, you went into high school, uh, may have been somewhat of a challenge to you, uh, or let's say this, you decided to challenge high school, but you ran into somebody who wasn't willing to back down. Talk a little bit about that. Um, he, to this day, he's still my favorite teacher. It was my uh, 10th grade United States history teacher, uh, Mr. Wilson, and he challenged me. I went into his, to his classroom. Um, I approached that school year with the same nonsense that I had um, going on in school uh, for the past seven or eight years before that. And so he did a number of things to, to, to get me to, to see life um, in a totally different way. And uh, one of the first things that he did was uh, back then you needed a 70 average in order to get a D, and I had a 69.3. And I remember I went to him and I said, man, you can give me the, the .7 points that I need for a D. And he said, I'm not giving you anything. He said, if you want, if you want anything in this classroom, you're going to have to earn it. He said, I don't care if you want a D. You will have to earn that D in this classroom. And so in my mind, I said, you know what? I'm just going to show this guy something. And so I finished his classroom with an A. But as I got older, um, I thought back to that, to that situation, and I said, he knew that I could get an A the entire time. But he, he also knew that, that if I approach school the way that I always have, that I'm not going to get that A. Now, okay, well, here's what I need you to explain to me, Ronnie. I want you to explain to me how a man like that 10th grade teacher could look at the history of your transcript and see that you failed 7th, 8th, and ninth grade, although you passed them all in summer school. And we know how those summer schools are with some accelerated program, and I'm not going to say that it's as intense uh, as it may be based upon the period of time and the amount of information. Uh, you know, sometimes it's just a, a way to go and get uh, a good grade in an abbreviated period of time. So what was it that this man was able to assess in you uh, that made him feel as if that you weren't challenged, that you just weren't putting forth the effort. What What did he see? Did he ever talk to you and tell you what that was? Um, I think, and and this is coming from a very uh, young school teacher, but I think that teachers have a spe- a very special gift, and I think that teachers can uh, those who are in in the profession for for all of the right reasons. I think that they can look beyond a student's past. I think that they can look beyond um, students' prior grades, um, disciplinary issues. I think that they can look beyond those things and pull out the good that is in that student. And I think that for whatever reason, once he met me, um, I think he realized that that there was more to me than this person that I was pretending to be, this person that I was trying to be. And he called me out on it. Well, what is that, if you will, though, but, and you may be on to something there, but it, but it sounds like, is that is that an art? Is it a science? Is it a skill set? What What is it that gives one the ability? Is it chemistry? What is I think it? It's a, I think it's a natural gift for some people. I think it's a natural gift um, of discernment. So, so is it something of which, because if it's a natural gift of discernment of which, so do they have the ability at all times to practice that skill in order to accomplish the goal of getting through a, a non-productive student, 
or is it just it only works in certain cases? I think it works. I think it um, it, it works a great portion of the time. Now, I, I will say that um, I don't care who you are, you're not going to reach every single person that you come in contact with. But I think, again, going, going back to the, the education profession um, in general, um, those that, that are in the profession that are in it for all of the right reasons because they, they sincerely want to make a difference in a child's life. They want to give a child um, hope or they want to give uh, children a, a different perspective. Um, I think that those people, those teachers, um, they are patient enough and they're loving enough that regardless of what that uh, student does, that that teacher is able to figure out a way to move beyond those stereotypes or move beyond those, uh, those negative behaviors. And I think that it's something that the teacher may practice all of the time, but there's some, some students that you just may not be able to reach. It may be a child where years later you find out that the child um, finally was able to get it together. And I'll tell you what, not only did you get it together, <laughs> man, you mastered it, you mastered the degree, uh, you mastered education, but you've done a tremendous job uh, yourself uh, that that teacher was able to motivate you. You then went on from there on to the university, and I'll let you finish the rest. Tell us a little bit about how your future turned out as a result of uh, you working with this 10th grade teacher. Um, after after meeting uh, Mr. Wilson in seventh grade and spending the entire year with him, um, my behavior uh, changed completely. Um, I was a completely different uh, student after that. I struggled still after my tenth grade year. I struggled my junior year, my senior year to uh, perform well academically, and so I ended up finishing high school with a 2.3 GPA. Um, at the end of my freshman year, it was a 1.9, but um, I graduated with a 2.3. My SAT scores were um, ex- extremely low, um, so I ended up going to Norfolk State University, and I'm, I'm, I'm very glad that I did because I had um, a wonderful um, experience at Norfolk State. Um, I had professors who, who pretty much did the same um, as Mr. Wilson. They, they were hard on me. They were tough on me. Um, I remember my advisor, she would always put me out of her office, and I ended up dropping out of Norfolk State, um, and and so I stayed out for about a year and a half. But when I went back to Norfolk State, um, this lady's um, attitude towards me was so different, and I asked her what happened, and she said, you're very mature now. She said, before, I couldn't work with you because you were just so immature. But it took for for me to leave school, um, and it also took for me to get married, to go through a, a, a bad marriage at 22 years old for me to wake up and for me to realize that if I don't make better life decisions now, then in my 30s and my 40s, um, my 50s, I'm going to suffer. Um, so I matured. And went back to school and just gave him my all, and and um, things just worked out for me. 
God has really been good to me. Well, you, you've been a great example, and, and that, that's a great story. But I tell you what, that story led to something that uh, is still puzzling me, but I'm sure it's puzzling a lot of you, too. And this young man at 30 years old is tired of being black. We're going to take a break right now, and we're going to come back, and we're going to talk about Rodney Jordan decided to write that book, Tired of Being Black. And we're going to pull back a page or two and let you hear a little bit about Rodney thinks what Rodney thinks about that book. So you're listening to Rail of Sports on the Voice America Network. I'm in Phoenix, living like it matters. Got my friend with me on the phone now, Rodney Jordan, author of Tired of Being Black. We'll take a break and we'll be right back. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. So Andy Serling packed his bags, left the city, and is enjoying his temporary digs in Saratoga. But that won't stop us from bringing you Playing to Win, the best online handicapping show for serious horse players. Catch Andy and his great lineup of guests every week throughout the month of August on location from the beautiful Saratoga Racecourse. He and his guests are some of the best in the biz. They bring you new insights to making money, and they tell it like it is. I'm 3-5-1 in this race, but the 3 is very much the one to be. We're going to completely disagree on this race. I absolutely disagree. Spicer, especially at one to two. And it's anything but the same old horse racing show. This is a nine horse field, but really there are seven donkeys and two zebras. Playing to win with Andy Serling, a show seriously committed to making more money at the game, but with a personality. This is a dunce cap horse for me. If this horse wins next week, I got the dunce cap on. YouBet.com's Playing to Win, presented by the Daily Racing Forum. Look for it the day before big race days, mostly Fridays. Find a complete schedule in the Daily Racing Forum or click on Playing to Win at YouBet.com. You may not know all their names, but you certainly know what they did. They helped make this game into what it is today. Now we can do more to help them. The NFL Alumni Association is proud to assist our retired players to help make their lives better today and tomorrow. To learn more, please visit NFLalumni.org. Internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. All right, you hear the music, you know the show. We're listening to Rail of Sports on the Voice America Network. I'm in Phoenix, living like it matters. Tired of being black. That's the name of the book by Rodney Jordan. Rodney, of course, is a school teacher and, a, and an author. And uh, listen, Rodney, you know, it wasn't easy for Rodney. You know, life growing up for Rodney uh, wasn't a silver spoon. And uh, Rodney um, is, is certainly one who was in a position and justifiable to write a book such as what he has written. And I've gone through it, and I've read some of it, and I've got some of my opinions about some of those things. But right now, I want to give Rodney a chance. To, let's talk about this book. You know, first of all, just it's, it's a you know, the title itself just provokes some people. Say, oh, hold on, what the hell's going on? <laughs> you know, uh, tired. Of, first of all, the title. 
How, how did you come up with the title? Rodney, you 30 years old, man. You too young to be tired of being black. <laughs> how did you come up with this? And particularly with what's going on in the media right now with, with Trayvon. God bless my brother up there in heaven. Trayvon Martin, you know, I could, it, it could be appropriate for you to say something like that at this age and at this time. But I want you to know, and you know, of course, that there have been, I'm almost twice your age at 54. I got 24 years on you. Uh, you know, I've been doing it for a long time. And, and so, man, you got to take the baton. You can't get tired yet. But, <laughs> but talk to us a little bit about that title and how you came up with that. Um, I, I will say that, uh, that, that one, I'm not, I'm not tired of, uh, of being black. I love being it's black. It's hard, man. I know it's hard, bro. I'm telling you, I've been doing it for 54 years. It's hard, brother. That's okay. You ain't got to apologize, man. So you, you get tired, but you got to keep on going, man. I'm, I'm about to hand the baton off to you. So you just starting the race, man. Don't get tired, but go ahead. Tell us how you came up with that time. I love, I love being black. I love who I am. I love where I come from. Uh, the, the title just sort of came to me one day. Um, I had some thoughts about um, what I wanted to put in the book, but didn't quite have the title yet. But one day I remember sitting on the couch, and and the title came to me. And so I began to slowly uh, tell people uh, the title, uh, those that are close to me. And they all kind of looked at me in shock, like, are you crazy? Somebody, somebody's going to kill you. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I, I went with that title, one, two, um, to gain the the attention of of, of readers, um, I figured that people would look at it and and just want to know exactly what that means, um, and hopefully that no one would look at the title and be judgmental and not open up the book. So I appreciate um, you having me on, so um, I could explain um, the title so that people would be more. Uh, motivated to um, read my book. And I want you to know, you can explain, but you do not have to apologize. I want you, I don't <laughs> mind you explain. That's good. I'm gonna, I, I want to give you that chance, but man, you don't have to apologize because it's hard being a brother in America. So go right ahead. Go right ahead. <laughs> um, but, I, but I wanted to write the book. Um, I, wanted to, I actually wanted to write the book um, in my early 20s, but I was working with a gentleman who at the time, um, he was 54, um, who told me to wait until I was 30 or close to 30 because I would have more um, experiences in life and the book would be much more effective. So I waited. And um, just a lot of things that I see um, working um, in school, uh, working in the school, um, in my personal life, I remember my childhood and the things that I did. And so I wrote the book to raise awareness of just the negative stereotypes and the struggles um, that are typically associated with the black race. And so I wanted to point those things out, but, but the purpose of me doing that was not to bash myself or my race or anyone, uh, but the point of me doing that was just so that anyone who reads my book can sort of put themselves in the shoes of this person and get an image of, of, of a person who might fit um, these things that I talk about in my book and just want to evaluate their own life, uh, evaluate their, their own practices, whether they are black or not, but just understand that, you know, black people and anyone can be more successful if we get away from these things that continuously hold us back.
And I and it, and it from what I've read again, you know, and again, I think you're trying to get people to take ownership, uh, perhaps maybe for some of um, the lack of success that they're having based upon the things that they practice themselves. Right. And, and I'm going to draw the analogy to sports, you know, and it, it's kind of like this. It's in, in sports, it's like many times after a game, you'll come into a film session, and what you'll do is you're going to review the film. And, and many times uh, in a football play in particular, where there is a problem, what you do is you look at what we call the point of attack, where when the ball is snapped, there becomes an obvious place where uh, the offense is trying to attack the defense. Right. And what happens is if you lose that battle at the point of attack, if you don't do anything at the point of attack and it goes to the next level, you've got to do the best you can to 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 correct or support that breakdown, because if you don't, it's only going to get worse. Instead of a, a, a one yard gain, it's going to be a five yard gain. Instead of a five yard gain, it's going to be a 15 yard gain. Instead of 15 yards, he's going to go the distance on you. So right. it appears to me that when you talk about people, and, you know, looking at themselves to assess the problem, look at yourself first and see what you contributed to the problem and then try to correct that to the best of your abilities before you start putting blame. Because you just by trying to correct where you maybe went wrong, at, that might solve the problem as opposed Absolutely. to having to go to the next level. Now, that's just my way of looking at things. Is it, is it something similar to that? That you, you, You're right on uh, where I was going with the book and and. I think that that we as people need to first examine ourselves. Um, I don't doubt that racism still exists in this country, um, but the point of me writing the book was, okay, racism involves other people. It takes um, someone from another race for you to say, hey, this person is being racist towards me. Okay, fine, that's that person. And... Just like a lot of parents um, raise their children and they say, I'm not worried about what everyone else is doing. I'm only concerned with what you're doing. And I think that we have to approach life in the same way. Regardless of what else is going on, look at who you are. Look at what you're doing first and fix all of those things. And then if you are still having trouble then you could say, well, the problem may not be me, and so let me explore these other avenues. But, you know, just to point out some things that I, that I talk about in my book, using the N-word, that's, that's on you. Um, not taking the time out to, to become a better reader, uh, to learn how to write, to learn how to do arithmetic, those are things that you can do. And if you're sitting in... in, in in a classroom, whether you're in middle school, high school, college, wherever, and you're not taking full advantage of that opportunity, you can't look and say, well, it wasn't my fault, or the teacher didn't like me, or the teacher's white, I'm black, so there's the issue. And a lot of times, we as people, we do that. We leave out what we're contributing to the problem. Because it sounds so much better if I say, well, they did this to me. There are a number of people who come from single-family homes. There are a number of people who grow up in bad neighborhoods, but yet these people find a way out. 
And you have to look at, and I tell my students this all the time, if you don't like your situation at home for whatever reason, if you don't like it, now is the time for you to change it. You may not be able to move out yet because you're only 11 or 12, but you can work now to build this better life that you want. Because when you turn 18, 19, 25, whenever it is that you can move out, you don't have to move out of one bad neighborhood into another bad neighborhood. But the choice is yours, and it starts today. Wow. I'm glad you heard that, everybody. listening. We're going to have to take a break. You're listening to Rail of Sports on the Voice America Network. Those words, were, those words were spoken by Rodney Jordan. Rodney is the author of Tired of Being Black. And, Rodney, we're going to come back and we're going to finish this because you, you've made some very good points there. I, of course, have some, some questions and some comments. But we're going to take a break. And on the other side of the break, we'll come back and we'll address those questions and we'll have those comments. So Sounds good. We'll be back. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. So Andy Serling packed his bags, left the city, and is enjoying his temporary digs in Saratoga. But that won't stop us from bringing you Playing to Win, the best online handicapping show for serious horse players. Catch Andy and his great lineup of guests every week throughout the month of August on location from the beautiful Saratoga Racecourse. He and his guests are some of the best in the biz. They bring you new insights to making money, and they tell it like it is. I'm 3-5-1 in this race, but the 3 is very much the one to be. We're going to completely disagree on this race. I absolutely disagree. Spies are especially at one to two. And it's anything but the same old horse racing show. This is a nine-horse field, but really there are seven donkeys and two zebras. Playing to Win with Andy Serling, a show seriously committed to making more money at the game, but with a personality. This is a dunce cap horse for me. If this horse wins, next week I got the dunce cap on. YouBet.com's Playing to Win, presented by the Daily Racing Forum. Look for it the day before big race days, mostly Fridays. Find a complete schedule in the Daily Racing Forum or click on Playing to Win at YouBet.com may not know all their names, but you certainly know what they did. They helped make this game into what it is today. Now we can do more to help them. The NFL Alumni Association is proud to assist our retired players to help make their lives better today and tomorrow. To learn more, please visit NFLalumni.org. Internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. All right, we're back. This is the Rail of Sports on the Voice America Network. I'm in Phoenix, living like it matters. And what matters to me at this particular time is the fact that the author and school teacher. Rodney Jordan has come to spend some time with me to talk about his book, Tired of Being Black. Rodney, of course, uh, you know, threw that title out there as one that he knew uh, would provoke a lot of people's interest to pick up the book so that he could educate you in terms of what exactly he means by tired of being black. And, and Rodney, uh, before we went to break there, uh, you, you shared with us uh, 
your perspective on 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 several different issues. And, and again, tired of being black, but this could be tired of being any color. Right. It, it could just be tired of your situation and you're suggesting these people, as you did just before we went to break. If you don't like the situation you live in, you can't leave the house till you're 18 or unless your mom decides to make a decision like she did with you. But you can make changes. And, and so what age in life do you think a young person, now that you're in the education system, can really start working towards their future because some people, some parents, when you hit 18, let the door hit you, you know, with a good Lord split you. And, you know, <laughs> that's what they mean, you know. So at what age do you determine that kids should start preparing themselves, you know, for life outside of their parents' home? Because a lot of us who got our education, 18 was the last time we lived at home with mom or dad or mom and brother and sister and everybody else. And, and that was it. Went to college. And from that point on, that, that was it. Never went back into the home as a permanent resident. So when did they should they start focusing on the departure from home and be, being an independent person? I think I think you start preparing um, early on. What age? I don't have a specific age in mind, but I think that. Um, you start preparing early, um, and just like the way school is set up, you don't go from being a toddler to a student at Norfolk State. It's a process, and the earlier that process starts, the better for the individual. And the thing is, because you're a child, you don't have the understanding of an adult. And so someone has to help you get that process started. It may be your parents. It may be your teachers. It could be a neighbor. But someone has to help you get that process started. And we all have someone at some point who comes in and they try to guide us in the way that might be beneficial to us later on. So it it starts early. But at what age, I don't have a specific age for you, but I think it starts very early. Well, one thing I, I would say, Rodney, I, I would say in terms of, and I talked to some athletes about this, you know, what what happens in, in your athletic career is they're always preparing you for, for that next level, and for that next stage. But I'm not sure, you know, even in terms of, you know, financial literacy, and, and, and that's why I believe this country has so many problems with, with, with uh with households uh, managing their finances is because we're not really taught about money in, in high school and in, and in junior high school, you know, and so in terms of managing your household. But I, I will say this, I don't think that there's a system in place throughout the school system that actually is preparing kids to be prepared that there's going to come a time where you actually have to make a decision about leaving your parents home. I agree. And um, over the past four years, I've taught sixth grade. Uh, My first year teaching, I taught fourth grade. But when my students come in the very first day of school, they get to sit down and listen to me, give them a lecture about life, about school, about how things are going to go in my classroom. And I let them know that I do not take anything for granted. Even something as simple as them walking in a straight line throughout the building. They may have had the best teacher 
the year before. But I'm not going to take for granted that you are going to come in my classroom and do the things that I expect for you to do. So we talk about it. And I'm not one of those people that say do, do something because I said so. I like to give reasons so that way there's some understanding to go along with the way that I do things. And so from that point on, my students are prepared for the next day. They're re prepared for the remainder of the school year, but I also like to prepare them for what's going to happen after sixth grade. And so, and that's why I said at some point, somebody enters your life, and it very well may be your parents, but someone enters your life and they get you started on that path. So many of them come in, and I, and I share with other teachers, respect means different things in different households. I have students who have tried to put their feet up on the desk, and they'll say, I'm allowed to put my feet up on the table at home. And so... I teach them this is not your this is not your home. And what may work outside of this classroom may not necessarily work while you're here. That's right. And when in Rome, do as the Romans do. And if, if that's the exactly. rule, if, if, if that's your rule, <laughs> then they have to abide by your rules when they're under your roof. Uh, but let me let me let me touch on a couple things here because we're, we're winding down to a few. Uh, minutes here. We got about four minutes left in the show. I told you I, I wanted to take you to task on a couple things, and there were a few things that I read in this book that I don't agree with, and and part of it is what I do not agree with is that that we all have in, in an education system we all have the same resources. Now that's not necessarily true because again, uh, you know, I'm going to share a little bit again. I, I, you know, I work hard and and don't have a whole lot of money, but. You know, in, in, in the suburbs out here in Arizona a little bit, you know, I, I could not believe when my kids first went to school here. It may have happened back in Upper Marion, Lower Marion when I was living back in Pennsylvania, too. I just don't recall at the time. But these children have two sets of books. You know, sometimes when you in, uh, when I was in elementary, you lost your book. You, you, I mean, that's, that's, that's a huge thing. Or you came home from school and didn't bring your book home. How are you going to get your homework done? These kids got two sets of books. They got books for school, and then they got books that they take home and keep at home for the entire year, and then they bring them back at the end of the year. Not only that, they, they give homework assignments with the assumption that there's a computer or two in the home, and, and so therefore then you can give a homework assignment that could be done online. Now, I know some parts of North Philly, it's not like that. Maybe even South Phoenix, it's not like that. So I wouldn't say that everybody has the same resources. Okay. Here's why I say that. In every state, there are standards that the teachers are required to teach. And I'll use Virginia for an example because that's where um, I've worked and have the most experience. There are different um, parts of Virginia that may not necessarily be as wealthy um, as other counties, um, they may not have the same um, assets. However, when it comes to education, the state issues out standards, and every school, every teacher is required to make sure that the students meet those standards. And because of that, the school has to have resources in place to make sure that these students get the same education across the state. 
So where one school may have two sets of books or one school may have... We got one minute. We're going to have to wrap that one up, Rodney. (laughs) What may have newer books, because they're required to meet the same standards, the the schools have to make sure that they can do that. And that's why I say we, we have the same resources, have the same teachers. Not that they're the same exact ones, but they have to be of, of, of the same quality. Well, I, well, I, I would say, I, I, let me, okay, let's agree to not necessarily disagree, but okay. I, I, I would <laughs> I would say that perhaps maybe it's a little bit more challenging. You know, one person, two people got to be at the same place at, at the same time, but one person's got a car, the other person's got to walk, you know, but, you know, you still got to be there on time. So, uh, you know, one person has to do a research project, one person has a computer, the other one doesn't, they got to go to the library all the time, still expected to do the same thing, but sometimes resources and additional resources make it a little easier for some to accomplish a goal than others. But certainly I get your point. I appreciate the work that you're doing, Rodney. You have to come back, man, because we didn't have enough time, (laughs) but I certainly want you to come back because there's some other things you touched on that book that we have to talk about. But again, the name of that book is Tired of Being Black. The author is Rodney Jordan. He is not only just an author, he is a school teacher. Rodney, where can people find the book if they want to get it real fast? Uh, People can find the book, uh, through any, they can purchase the book through any book retailer, Barnes and Nobles, Amazon. Uh, they can go through my publisher, Our Universe. Uh, it, is, it is available in paperback, and it is also available um, through the electronic copy if, you, if they want to download it to their Kindle or Nook. They can do that as well. I, um, iPads, they can do that if they would like to also. Well, I'll tell you what, Rodney, it's been great having you on the show. and uh, It was great to be on. Thank well, you so much. And I appreciate the fact that, l- listen, you were faced with tremendous challenges and you never gave up on yourself. And I'm glad there were some people out there that did not give up on you. And because of you, you're still here because of the, the, the commitment you had to succeeding. You're still here and you're a great example for a lot of young people out there, regardless, black, white, green, purple, blue. So thank you, my man. You're still young to be tired of being black, <laughs> but uh, just stay fresh, man. Keep pushing. And uh, I'm sure things will be fine and, and, and you'll help a lot of people. You'll reach back and help somebody uh, like that 10th grade teacher did you. You've been listening to Rail of Sports on the Voice America Network. I'm in Phoenix. Living like it matters. It's time for me to go. So I'll see you next time, which will be the best time. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.